on the tee, Jack Nicholas. This is the minute that millions around the world have waited for. We will allow you to enjoy all of this. They are dancing in the pubs of Dublin. Harrington with an ace. And we have a shining star at sunset. Rory continues his run to greatness. The return to glory. Now, guys, I'm delighted to say that I am joined by two-time winner on the DP World Tour, uh, one of the most popular men on tour from what I've heard, and he's a gentleman of the game, Oliver Wilson. Oliver, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. It's a nice intro. Ah, look, uh, we, we, try, <laughs> we try and do our research, and, and everyone had only, only good things to say about you. Um, how have the last few weeks been for you? Uh, yeah, it had been great. Um, you know, it's always nice to have that little time well, we call it the off season, but it's, you know, a few weeks, nearly a month over Christmas to get away from the game. But then to come out and start the season in Dubai is, uh, it, it never gets old. Come out to the sunshine, the courses that we've played the last two weeks, Dubai Creek and Dubai Desert, uh, and, and Emirates at the Dubai Desert Classic have been absolutely spectacular. Like the the conditioning has been, you cannot get any better. So it's been good and they've been two fantastic tournaments, looked after us really well. Um, I've been playing quite nice. These games in decent shape, so it's been nice. It's been a really good two weeks to get back in the swing of things, and um, yeah, it kind of feel like I'm back in the middle of the season already after two weeks on the road. So um, it's nice, though. It's just a great place to come to get the year going. How was the uh, the Dubai Invitational? First, obviously, smaller field, no cut event, uh, new event on the tour. It's going to be a biannual event that looked like a lot of fun. Yeah, it was great. Um, like I said, first week back out is always fun anyway, but the tournament did a really good job of of looking after us and it was just really casual um and nice. Everything was just easy, you know. Um and that's kind of what you want. And it was pro am format, so you got to play with different guys. Um, I think the course was maybe set up a little bit too hard for them. They kind of struggled in general. Okay. Um, the tees could have probably been doing, been moved forward a little bit. Um, but it was great. It was it was a good week, a fun week. Um, Abdullah uh, Al Nabudda, who basically put the tournament on, is a is a good friend of the tours, and he did a really good job. Um, so yeah, it's it's a really nice event. It's one of the, it's a funny one, you know, limited field to start the season always. Um, divides a little bit if you're in the field it's a great week excited to be there <laughs> excited to be playing if you're not in the field it's horrible why are they what you know why should there be an event that i'm not qualified for it's you know not fair so it's a hard one um depending on your circumstance but i was fortunate to be in it and uh it yeah it was a great way to start the season so um it'll be nice if you know if you can always start the season in that tournament when it's on every by uh, every couple of years it's uh, it'd be a nice start you you say the uh, the Dubai invitation was a little bit more casual. I think to go from that to the first Rolex series, the event at the Emirates Club, which is uh, seemed to be playing notoriously difficult uh, this week in comparison, I guess, previous years. How how was that experience? That uh, the rough looked pretty tough out there. Yeah, I mean, the, like I said the, earlier, the Dubai Creek was set up unbelievably well. Like the greens were firm and fast. Um, the rough wasn't thick, but it's Bermuda, so you had no control of the ball. It was perfect. Um, but then you move on to the creek, uh, to, onto 
the Emirates and, you know, it's a Rolex event. It's a big deal. You want to play well there. Um, and they've, it feels like they've kind of figured out how to set the course up now. They've always been kind of experimenting a little bit, whether to small, uh, reduce the size of the greens, turn the greens up, grow the rough up, grow the fairways in. Always seems like it's been a little different, but since they've redone the greens this year, it was just perfect. Um, and like I said, it was tough. The rough was thick. You just couldn't afford to miss fairways. Um, even even the long guys, you know, if you missed the fairways, it was still pretty hard to get any control and, and get it around on the green or around the green. So um, it was just really well set up. And unfortunately for me, I, I um, got off to a terrible start, but... Um, it's it was a great event and it was nice to have a tournament before it to so you're not going straight into a setup like that. It's always hard if you've had time off, you've been practicing elsewhere in the winter months, and then you turn up to Dubai and you're playing a course that's set up like that. It's kind mm. of tough to adapt. So um it's uh, that's just another challenge that people have. But um yeah, it's just a fantastic event. It, it, we were we were kind of talking about it earlier about you know what could you make better and really it was really hard to come up with anything it's as good as it gets so um i think they've kind of hit a sweet spot now and uh, hopefully just ride that out yeah i actually didn't think about how tough a first event back that would be and then you look at the leaderboard and a lot of the guys who uh, obviously made the cut but were also in amongst the top of the board cameron young and a few others as an exception had all played last week as well so you'd all kind of a lot of them had had, uh, had warmed up what do you what do you do then on a week like that where unfortunately you missed a cut? Like, do you get to Raz Al Khaimah a week early or do you just kind of take a handy? Um, well, it's I wouldn't say there's a set plan. It depends week on week where, wherever you are. But for me, I basically I probably overdid it a little bit. I I kind of I was a little fatigued going into the tournament days, um, and that certainly didn't help my my Thursday start. But it, that you know, I certainly can't blame that. But it it didn't help. So I was, when I missed the cut, I basically took Saturday off as a recovery day. I worked out, um, did some ice bath and um, physio, and just kind of spent a little time on the beach in the afternoon, and uh, caught up with some friends. So tried to get away from it a little bit. I'd had like sixteen straight days with a couple of long haul flights in there um, of of practicing and training for it. So I was ready for a little break. Um, so I practiced Sunday, um, at the Emirates because one of the things about that event is the vibe there is so cool. Um, and it's a, it's a little bit of like mental punishment to be turning up at the weekend at a tournament. You're not playing. It's, you do the walk of shame. Um, and it's quite gutting to watch everyone else warm up and going out and play. So it can be good motivation because it's just not where you want to be. So I practiced up there because the facilities are so good. Stayed there last night and came down to uh, Raz Al Khama this morning and uh, get back on it for this week. That's yeah. That it. I would say it's tough enough now. All right, going to the driving range or going to the putting green, and seeing seeing your contemporaries going off and getting ready, and they're probably in a very different mindset and zone to you, where you're looking to work on stuff. But they're like, right, this is gotta go. Earn, yeah, earn my paycheck now and and win a trophy here. It's probably uh, definitely motivating. Yeah, I mean, it sucks. Like, I was on the range and um, Nikolai came down and, and started hitting right behind me. So all the cameras are there and I'm, you know, working on a little bit of technique, trying to hit some different shots, videoing some swings, and he's got five cameras on him and he's hitting balls two feet behind me. 
um, you know, he's got his game face on and I'm kind of pretty relaxed, just working on things. And Scotty was behind him. Rory came on a little later and it's like, you know, this this really does suck. It's terrible. Like, you just don't want to be there and all the leaders are going out. You want to be amongst them and, like I say, get your game face on and go play and go see what you can do. So um, sometimes it's good to remind yourself of that. For the uh, for the big golf fans at the moment, uh, what are you working on? What's what are you working on in the game? People want to know. That, trust me, it's, that's a big question we get. How long's the podcast? Uh, I I have the entire day. So um, I mean, it's a continuous process, right? So I'm working on um swing wise i'm working on my release just trying to tidy it up through impact a little bit i've i've done really good work and probably swinging it as better well as good as i have ever um which is nice but coming into the ball a little bit differently a little bit shallower so i'm just trying to match my release with that now um short game wise a little similar actually work, working on a little bit of posture and setup but definitely through the ball trying to um hold my angle through the ball a little bit. I, I tend to flip it, um, get quite handsy and my body stalls a little bit and I use my hands, which has always been a bit of a trait with my short game, but I'm just trying to tidy that up a little bit. So it's a little bit more pivot dominant and my hands are a little quieter. Um, so those two things really uh, kind of go hand in hand. Um, and yeah, putting is just continue doing what I'm doing really, just keep calibrating, matching things up. And then just trying to figure out how to take it to the course so it works the same as it does on the range, um, which is always the the, the tricky bit. Um, but yeah, I guess all, and on, on top of all that, that brings it all together, just getting some flow and some dynamic movement in there so it's a little bit freer than it has been in the past. Yeah. If you could, I'd love to go back to, not necessarily the start, but pretty pretty close to it. You're one of the, the more familiar faces on the DP World Tour, but I'd love to love to go back to how you got into the game first and I guess how, how you found it as, as a sport that then became your career. Yeah, um, I guess one of those things, you never know what's going to happen, what's around the corner. Um, golf wasn't even in my on my agenda at all. I, was, I really enjoyed skiing and I played football. Um, and then I had a skiing accident. Someone hit me um, and twisted my knee pretty badly. And I was advised to uh, never kick a ball again, never ski. Bad, bad information, I now know. But it kind of steered me towards golf because my dad had always wanted to play. So we basically took it up together. And it's one of those sports, as, you, as everybody knows who's listening, um, you kind of get hooked pretty quickly. And it kind of took my mind off the other stuff, the other sports. And I just started playing golf and you know, playing every weekend, suddenly going up after school, um, playing for the club junior team, and it just kind of escalated to county. And suddenly it was like, well, this is kind of going quite nicely. Started to, as I got to sort of 15, 16, started to make the England teams and just kind of kept on going with that. And it became something serious out of nowhere, really. Um, and the other sports kind of died out and golf became the main focus. What age were you at that point when, <clears throat> well, firstly, you got the injury, but then, secondly when you started making your county and then English teams because you then obviously went on and had a very successful amateur career yeah I I think I got the skiing accident I think I was like nine maybe and then I started oh. playing golf when I was 10 um, it might have been it, it might have been 10 with the accident as well but somewhere around there that's incredibly um, young to be told never kick a ball again yeah I mean obviously now I now know that the the physio that 
gave me the information in, in Europe was not really knowing what they were talking about. But, you know, it, it was one, of, like I said, it's one of those things that you never know what how things work out, but it steered me towards golf. So it, it, it clearly um, worked out to be a good decision, but probably not the best information. Um, so, yeah, that kind of got me on the golf path. Um, and I guess a couple of years in, I was playing for the club junior team and then broke into the county team, started playing international under 16 when I was 14 um, and then kind of just progressed up through the England um, programme, England juniors, and then broke into the men's team. Um, and then I, then I kind of, everything was going well. And um, I actually was approached by a company called Snake Eyes. I don't know if you remember them. They made beautiful irons, bladed irons, these tiny little things. They were like little butter knives. And uh, I wasn't the best ball striker. I just had a very good short game. <laughs> and it completely derailed me. And I fell out of the England team and and kind of was lost a little bit. So I then went back to my Callaways and um, basically got back in the England team and did well and then had an opportunity to go to college. So in the States, which turned out to be the best thing ever um, because it's a phenomenal experience out there and it's very competitive. And it was what I needed. I was playing golf full-time as an amateur in England and not really going anywhere, sort of treading water a little bit. I was still doing okay, but I didn't feel like I was as improving like I could do in an American university in Augusta, which was I was very fortunate to go to, um, kind of transformed things and put me on a fast-track path to becoming pro. How was college golf over in the States? How did that kind of differ from the the international setup that you were playing uh, back, in, back in England? Yeah, um, it's completely different. Like, it's amazing because you're thrown into a team of, we, we had quite a big team of, it varied over the four years, but between 10 and 14 people. So every day is competitive practice against all those guys. You're trying to beat them, trying to get into the team. You'd have a traveling team of five players. So you're always trying to get into that team. And um, we just made every practice really competitive. You had pretty good facilities. You know, it was fun. Yeah, um, playing golf with your roommates. Just, you know, at that age, having a great time, playing golf all over the place, traveling, comp- competing. We were, we were doing really well too. Um, and Augusta was a small university, so we were Division One in golf, but Division Two in every other sport. So we didn't have a big um, American football team. So golf was the sport in Augusta. So we were quite well known around town, which was nice, um, very different to what I'd ever experienced in England. And uh, it was fun. It was just a completely different world to me. And it definitely helped, um, yeah, focus me, I guess, and uh, open open my eyes more than anything, I think. Then I, I was, I, well, I was actually very fortunate because I didn't, I got, I got recruited when I was like 16 and I said, no, I turned that down. And then a friend of mine went out there um, and didn't feel, he didn't get a visa and he thought he'd just get one out there and he got <laughs> caught. He got caught at customs. He, his mum had wrote a note saying, uh, "Yeah, love you loads. Have a great time in college. Um, see you, see you soon." And it, she'd placed the note right at the bottom of his suitcase. And clearly, they didn't like his answers at, at customs of, of what he was doing. So they took his bags and took him in the back room, searched his stuff, and found this note. Oof. And uh, so they sent him on a plane straight back. And uh, he uh, he called me up and said, "Look." there's a spot open if you want it and it was perfect timing for me um i had a couple of friends already on the team and i was like i said i was kind of just treading water in england it was winter at the time 
I thought, you know what, this could be a great opportunity. So I took it up and again, I was very fortunate to, for that break to happen. And um, it was, that, that moment was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. There's a lot in that. Uh, has your friend ever been back to the States since? Has he been allowed back? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if he's been back recently. He certainly hadn't been back, you know, any time in that probably following on the decade after that happened. <laughs> uh, and so why did you say no at, at 16 at first? Was that just you were 16 and you hadn't thought about it or, or what was it? I mean, it's obviously a very long time ago. Um, I I think from memory, it was just the fact that I was 16 and like you, you asked to go and move country, not knowing anyone on the team at that time. Um, that's a big call. And things were going pretty well in England at the time. So I just, I don't think it was ever anything, it was so out of the blue. Um, it just wasn't in my mind. My, and I just thought, this doesn't seem like a logical thing to do. Um, but once that idea had been introduced to me and then it kind of, you know, it was in the back of your mind and then a few other people had gone and then I ended up having a couple of guys, a couple of friends out on that team, things started to change. And so when the opportunity came again, I uh, I didn't think twice. The U.S. college system is so impressive. You look at the likes of Nick Dunlap. Obviously, he's he's won there on the PGA Tour this week. But like, even from a European perspective, like the talent that's been churned out. You have your your Victor Hovlins, who's done great things. Ludwig Eberg. Like, the do you see that now when when you're on tour and you see these young guys coming out? Like, just how ready they are to to compete and win immediately. Yeah, it's insane. Um, you know, when I think back to the level I was in college, I was I did well in college. I was three time All American, won four times. I was ranked number one in the country for a while. I was going to say you're selling yourself short there a little bit. You'd had a, you'd had a little bit more than a good career. Well, yeah, <laughs> so I mean, I was I was pretty good in college, but I I mean I could not compete with these guys. Like these guys would have absolutely killed me uh, if we compared ourselves at that age. Um, the college system has improved so much, but they have the reason it's so good is because they they have access to the best facilities and the best knowledge, and they are working on that stuff every day for four straight years with all the coaching they ever need, but they're not competing thirty times a year. So they go and compete like ten or twelve times a year, but they're able to work on that game, they're training. It's just an amazing environment and it's competitive and they come out so hungry and so prepared. Um, it's it's incredible. And it's clearly the the right way to be doing it because there's more and more guys coming out straight from college that just walk onto the tour and they come, you play with them and it's like, well, there's no weakness and they're not afraid of anything and they're hitting the ball absolutely miles. And I mean, when you compare the, the ball speeds and the swing speeds of the the top guys in college now to the top guys or, or guys on tour, you know, they're smoking it past us. Um, so like every time, you know, you, each year goes past, you've got another five or six guys come on the tour, young guys hitting it a long way. You know, you, you look five years, 10 years down the line. I mean, it's going to be a significantly different game. And that's, I guess that leads you onto the ball rollback and, and why something has to be done. But they kind of missed the boat on that, but that's a completely different story, I suppose. But I was going to say we we have, we have a lot of time on the podcast, but we may not have that much time on the podcast. To yeah, get really into that. Did you get sucked it's an, in at it's all? It's an amazing system, though. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, it's 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 classic. Uh, it's it's a, it's a class system. Um, did you over the winter then at all? I know Pablo Larrazabal spoke about it a good bit as well about how uh, these young guys are coming out and hitting the golf ball so much further. He over the winter he documented on Twitter and, and across social media quite quite comp- comprehensively that he worked on his uh, his speed and speed gains quite a good bit, and he seems to have worked on it a, a lot. He's hitting the golf ball a good bit further now this season. Um, did you get get sucked into that at all, or 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 what, what's your plan for uh, keeping these young boys at bay? Yeah, well, so I guess I guess during or leading into COVID, um, uh, I'd start. I'd, I'd had a few um, interactions with Joe Miller, who's the f- former World Long Drive guy, um, uh, was Callaway player. So I'd met him a few times and kind of sparked something to kind of try and learn you know what what i can do you know i've I've, i'm aging um as we as we as we move along you know i'm I'm not the youngest um and i want to look at how i can keep competing for another 10 15 years I'd, i'd i'd like to be at the position where i can i'm competing and i stop playing because i've had enough as opposed to i can't compete and i look at the guys that are coming out of college, the young guys are coming from out, at not just college, but through in Europe as well, and they all bomb it. And so you think where that's going to be and leaves the professional game in five years' time, if you're not hitting it or carrying it 300 yards, I don't see how you're going to have much of a future. So it kind of led me to investigate, and I went and saw Lee Cox, who's um, a long drive coach, works with Joe and Martin Borgmeyer. Uh, Luke Curtis, European long drive champ. Um, and so I had a few lessons off him. He gave me some stuff to work on. Um, and I've been delving into that world for the last few years. And I've managed to improve my distance considerably. Um, and I guess that's one thing that I'm still kind of learning how to play with and how to manage that because I've never had that um, option you know, with my with my swing, it was never an option to stand up there and go, oh, there's a bunker at three, 305, 310, just hit it hard and hit it over that. Like, that's never been a thing. And now it is, but it, I get kind of excited. Like, you know, when I'm swinging it well and it's I'm hitting it a long way, it's like, this is really fun. I want to just hit it hard all the time. But, you know, that's not the game. It's The game is to score and, and shoot the lowest score. So it's kind of a balance, and you've got to try and figure out how to do that. Um, so... That's one thing I'm working on at the moment. But I, I just don't see if you're not trying to get longer and learning how to get longer, because it is a process and it's hard to do. If you're pretty good at driving the ball as a pro, it's hard to then try to gain distance and go away from what you already do because it's a massive asset and it's a risk if you start trying to do something else. So that's why you got to give Bryson DeChambeau credit. When you're top 10 in the world and you go down the route that he did, Mm. and he's come back as strong but you know it got him a major and he's got an asset in his bag that is you know incredible um fair play to him it's it's a ballsy thing to take on and uh i think that's one thing that holds quite a lot of people back but everyone out here is kind of delving into it a little bit you know trying to just maybe just hit a few balls at the end of their range sessions a little bit harder and and try and see if they can eke out a few yards here or there because you got to because everyone else coming through is longer than than nearly everyone out on tour. So um, it's a bit of a shame, but it's uh, it is a skill in itself. So 
um we need to keep working they keep us on our toes yeah the uh the track man and gc quad reps must be must be flat out going going around each player being like you're hitting this far this is your boss speed this is your clubhead speed but um when you when you came out on tour then you progressed nicely like you came out on tour in 05 06 you you took to like a like a duck to water as well now i think uh you did very well leading up to 2008 what was like that transition like again obviously we spoke about how this generation of young college play offers have found it how did you find it personally being on the other side of it yeah it was um it's a bit of a weird process because i never like i said earlier i i didn't ever hit the ball very well i had an amazing short game put it great and i knew how to play golf but i was lacking technical uh, competency to be able to become like a, a really good tour player. So when I turned pro straight after the Walker Cup, I went to see a guy called Mitchell Spearman. We ripped my swing apart and we sort of built it back up. Um, but I, I got to give a massive credit and shout out to my college roommate, who Jamie Elson at the time. He was sort of a year ahead of me all the time. And he he was the one that kind of broke those doors down. And when he achieved things, I was like, oh, well, I can do that. He's my, you know, I can beat Jamie, so I can do that. And so he got his, he played Walker Cup. I made the next Walker Cup. He got his, he turned pro, got his card through Challenge Tour the first year. I did the same thing. And it, it, it without that, I don't think I'd have probably given myself a chance to do it. It would have felt a lot harder, but because he did it, it kind of made it look like, well, that's just what we'll do. Um, and so when I got out there, I was, um, it was tough, but I never really felt like I could, be anything more than a journeyman pro and that's where like just having good processes and good people around you and I kept trying to just improve every day every year was about trying to finish a bit higher on the order merit and I kept doing that and suddenly four years later I was in the Ryder Cup um and I I mean that's it was never I I can't really say you know it had always been a dream because I'd never I didn't my dreams weren't that high I I genuinely didn't think I'd ever be able to do something like that. And then you start to, as you achieve something, you start looking further ahead. Um, so after the Ryder Cup, um, I had another really, really good year in 09. Um, but I think that was kind of what, one of the reasons I got a little bit derailed was I hadn't looked far enough ahead and hadn't set goals high enough. And then I'd sort of got close to where I felt like I could ever get to and or, or pass wherever I got to. And, kind of struggled from there a little bit with many, many different reasons, injury, illness and and changing coaches and that kind of stuff. But underlying it all, I think probably didn't set my goals high enough um, and reached them, reached the goals a lot quicker than I thought as well. So it was an interesting process, but um, it was a lot of fun and trying to you know figure out that journey on tour. It's, um, it's, it's a pretty cool process and a pretty cool life to have coming straight out of college. I'm glad you enjoyed it. You, um, I'd love to talk to you about 2008. So the year, obviously, when you you qualify for the next year's Fallen Rider Cup, where you, you you got to that, got those ranking points. That was a year when I think you had you had four runner-up finishes. That's yeah, you probably your your best year on tour in in that period. Anyway, how, how do you manage that? Is that is that a you're on the cusp of winning and you're feeling really positive about your game, or is it a case of so close yet so far and you're frustrated by? been you know the the bridesmaid four times we'll say yeah um a bit of both because i knew i i i feel like if you if you can finish second that many times you can win you just yeah. need a, a break but at the same time 
I kind of bought into what some people in the media were saying and like, you know, I, I can't get over the line. Um, and so you start to maybe overanalyze a little bit. And I looked at what was lacking and my, I, my swing, I still wasn't hitting the ball how I needed to. And it was always my swing that was holding me back on the Saturday and Sunday. And my short game was kind of keeping me in contention. I never felt like I could make it happen and, you know, go at flags down the stretch to try and make birdies and, and win the tournament. I was always kind of hanging on. And so that was one of the reasons why I started to look elsewhere and try and figure out what needed to change. Um, and in hindsight, I probably should have just kept doing what I was doing. Um, and the win would have come and who knows where I'd have been, but you know, we, we, we make decisions trying to get better all the time. And, um, you're always trying to do the right things. You just never know if they are going to turn out to be the right things. And, um, that's one of the hard, that's one of the reasons the game's so hard because you do it for so long you have so many decisions to make, um, and they can take you off on massive tangents if you let them. So that's kind of, it, it probably, it, it was starting to get into my head and it started to get to the point when I was finishing, I was finished second at Wentworth and normally, or certainly in the past when you'd finished second, it was like, you're disappointed, but still really pleased because you've had a great week. Um, and you've basically beat everyone in the field by one person, but it got to the stage where second was no joy. Um, and I, I, it, it was hard to keep taking because I wasn't doing anything wrong. I just wasn't making birdies down the stretch. And I got, when you look back at each one, pretty much everybody who beat me did something quite special to beat me. Nobody ever gave me a tournament. Yeah. And I see, I see a lot of guys win and they're like, they've done nothing magic down the stretch but someone's leading and they've made a double and lost the tournament and that never happened to me um so i was determined that i had to go out and, and win the tournaments um and kind of led me down a different path too so um it's uh, it's been an interesting journey there's been a lot of um decisions good and bad and you kind of live and learn and and try and put it all together and piece it all together as you go along a consolation. It's a funny consolation, but it's, I guess you could look at it as a consolation nonetheless. Is your good play in 2008, you were rewarded with a spot in the, in the Ryder Cup. Um, that obviously, like you're saying, was, was something that you hadn't set a goal for. So when you get that call that you're going to be in that team, you know, obviously, obviously not the results that, that Europe wanted, but when you get that call initially, what, what goes through your head? Because like you're saying, that's that's not something that you'd probably ever set as a, as a goal. Yeah, well, I, I qualified at Glen Eagles um, and it was a stressful week because obviously once it's on the agenda and like you, it's in your, your yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's all for you to do, um, it was hard work. But I played really well um, and got that last spot and yeah, the, the week didn't go well, but it was still an incredible week to be to be part of an experience and when after after that it was like right i i have to get on the next team and this was probably this is one of the big decisions that kind of derailed me around that time was i was so fixated on getting back on a on a diff, on the next team that i i turned down my pga tour card and just stayed to play in europe because i figured that would be my best option um and it, it didn't work out i just missed out but um i feel like if i'd have not done that and kind of 
still obviously was trying to get on the Ryder Cup team, but kind of put that to one side and maybe had other goals of doing things that were that would have led to Ryder Cup anyway. Um, probably would have worked out very differently. But like I said, you live and learn. You play the game for so long. You have so many decisions to make. You, you can't possibly look back. and You can't play professional golf for 20 years and not look back on things and regret doing things the way you did them. Um, if you do, you're not really pushing yourself to the limit. So, um, yeah, they, they're kind of just decisions that I got wrong. It's funny. I, when I when I first heard that story about you you not taking up your PGA Tour card, it really reminded me of the situation between Robert McIntyre and Adrian Moronk going into Marcus Simone and that and that Ryder Cup. Adrian Moronk obviously had the option to take his PGA Tour card, play in the States. He did so. Robert McIntyre had a similar situation, stayed in the on DP World Tour where he had full status and and he ended up being the one to to make it onto that team, whereas Moronk, who obviously also had three wins last year, didn't didn't quite get it because two points. He, if he'd stayed on this on the DP World Tour, he probably would have taken that automatic spot. So it's a it's a it's a coin toss, really, whether you whether you go or whether you stay. And there's so many different routes to to get in there that it, it was a story that yeah reminded me of of what just happened last year and where both of those players are now now at the moment. Is the Ryder Cup something that you would love to get involved in from the, the backroom side? Like it, from everyone that I've spoke to, you get a taste of that Ryder Cup and that camaraderie and that team element. It's something that everyone has said, yeah, I need to I need to be a vice captain or I need to I'd love to become a captain someday. Yeah, I mean, it, like I said, it, when once you've had a taste of it and you've been inside inside the team room, see how it all works. Out there playing you that's what we play the game for, you know, to play in front of people on a world stage and kind of show off, you know, that's what we want to do. We're athletes. That's what, that's what we makes us tick. Um, but if you can't, if you can't qualify for the team, obviously I'd love to still qualify, but if you can't get back in the team, then you just want to be around it in and around it as, in any capacity. I think um, it is as a golfer, it is as good as it gets. Um, and, in 08, it was a huge deal, but it has increased exponentially. It is unbelievable how big an event it is now. And you know, the crowds, the uh, the whole infrastructure of the place is just insane. Um, and the energy there, you know, that's that's living. And that's what you want to be part of, If it's, especially if it's your, uh, in your sport. So if you tapped Luke up to, to say, hey, look, there's a spot in the backroom team, <laughs> look, look my way or... I haven't specifically, but um, you know, he he knows that I would definitely be up for doing something. I'll drive a car. I'll do anything. <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, it's cool, and and there's it's so much bigger now um, that there's so many more. You know, when I played, we had Faldo was the captain. We had um, Ollie as vice, and then DJ Spoonie and and Matt, his son, were the other two. <laughs> now there's. Now there's um, somebody for every single player um, to look after and make sure they've got every, everything they need. So it's a significantly changed concept uh, back in the team room. Um, and I think, yeah, they're doing a great job with it so far. But I'd, yeah, I'd love to be involved. Do you look back at that Ryder Cup and think a little bit of what if, obviously, uh, Sir Nick's come in, to, come, in, come in for a little bit of uh, criticism on his captaincy, but... Is is it a case of if things one or two things were a little bit different? Do you think you could have had had the US, or do you just take it as a learning? 
No, I think I think we we definitely could have beat them. They they did play fantastically well, but even even though we didn't get the pairings right, I I would say I, I don't think anyone would disagree with the pairings weren't quite right the first day. Um, if we'd have maybe done a better job there, we still got within the uh, we had a a little chance. Um, halfway through the singles, you know, it suddenly was like, oh, hang on, we can actually do this. We we pegged them back, but then they ended up finishing strong and obviously winning. But, um, yeah, it, obviously mistakes were made. Um, but I think essentially the pairings weren't quite right and the top players on the team maybe didn't get um, enough say to kind of steer those team decisions, I guess. Um, but I guess, again, I think that's why they learned, the European team learned so much from that year. And then that's, I think that's one of the reasons why they've been amazing since then is because they learn the mistakes that we can't make. Um, but that being said, who knows, like it's golf, like you can make, you can make all the right decisions, all the right pairings and still lose. Um, so it's very easy to analyze and, and look back in in hindsight, but um, all I would I think the biggest mistakes we made were just not quite getting the pairings right. Yeah. Then I guess that that could coincided similarly enough with with yourself. I guess like you're saying, injury coming up coming on and um, losing your tour card. How how did that how did that kind of initially happen? What was the what was the injury that kind of set that off? Yeah, uh, for the next couple of years. Yeah, so in 2010, I um, I was ill for four or five months. Not massively ill, but I ended up having some parasites um, and I didn't know and I was just really tired and fatigued all the time and therefore not playing great and I was trying to practice harder and harder and nothing was really working. So I ended up changing coaches um, and then figured out what was going on. So it's just one of those processes where um, – it kind of derailed me and it, it, it forced me to make some decisions. Well, it didn't force me, but it pushed me to make some decisions that were not, not the right thing for my uh, my career. And it's a fickle game. So once you kind of lose momentum and then you, you're you're hanging on a little bit and struggled and um, that whole year was a pretty rough process. Um, and then I kind of lost my game after that and really struggled to drive the ball. And it was uh, a very... Um, Turbulent few years, should we say? It was very, uh, it was very hard to keep trying to get back to where I'd been. And uh, once you, it's, it's it's funny, like once you're when you're on tour, it's fantastic because you have people around you, and it's easy to see coaches and kind of get build a nice, nice uh, team around you. But when you lose your card, you go to Challenge Tour it's hard to keep that same team on because most of them are working out on the main tour. And unless they live near you, it's really hard to make it work. And I, I was very much on my own trying to figure things out. And it is a, becomes a really, really lonely place. And uh, I just wasn't getting the right inputs um, and just really struggled for a few years and to the point where I nearly gave up because it was just miserable. I was getting nothing back from the game. I wasn't enjoying it. Um, and it was hard work. Um, so it was, it was, like I said, it was a very rough few years. And then again, it's golf. It's an absolutely ridiculous game. And then I won the Dunhill. So it's like, it's absolutely no explanation for it. 
Well, there, there is explanation, but it's like it, even uh, it doesn't make any sense. It's just that's what's amazing about golf. It, it's it teaches you life lessons. You got to just keep going. You know, surround yourself with good people that want the best for you. Talk it through. Keep you know putting one foot in front of the other. Just keep trying to improve to whatever level it is. I mean, I was I was to the point. It was so bad. I was out on the challenge tour, and my goal was to not even make the cut it was just to improve round on round which was i was shooting like 80s on the challenge tour so it's like just right let's we're going to try and shoot 278s and then 275s and we're going to try and get in with a hunt of making a cut and it was just breaking it down like that and slowly building it back up um which is a pretty pretty bad place to be but um that's kind of it you know you just got to keep going and if you'd have told me back then that I'd be playing professional golf 10 years later and I'd have won twice um, since then, I would never have believed you. Um, so, yeah, it, you, like I said earlier, you play golf for such a long period of time. It's it's literally a lifetime. So much things, so many things can happen. You, uh, you just got to keep on going if you can, if you can. <laughs> If you can stomach it, you just got to keep on going. But it's you know it's about being happy off the course more than anything. And I'm very fortunate; I've got a great family, so um, they helped support me through that. And um, here I am. But it's not always that straightforward. But yeah, just keep keep knocking on the door and see what happens. And um, it was nice to finally get some wins. Is that struggle you talk about kind of going to challenge tour? Is that mostly physical or as a mental or as a, a combination of two because i'd even i'd even imagine that like you're saying going from the the main tour where you have you have a, a crew or a posse of people around you you know supporting you and breathing that positive energy to then go and challenge tours a very insular life like for people that that, that may not know it is it is early flights. It's lonely car rentals and you're in a hotel room on your own not too dissimilar to dp world tour but at least there you have two, three, four people around you to share that experience with. And, and you know, on the main tour, we get looked after pretty well. You know, like you get free food, you get courtesy cars, you stay in nice hotels, the courses are nice. Challenge tour doesn't have that money. So you, like you said, you're, you're flying, you never fly to places that are near the airport. It's always like a two hour drive from the airport. You got to rent a car. It's just tiring and hard and lonely. Um, and that's why a lot of guys end up traveling together, which can help. Um, but it's, you know, financially it's hard because you're not making any money. Um, it's just not a fun place to be. Now, when you're 18, 20 years old coming up and you're on the rise, it's incredibly exciting. It's amazing. You're playing golf for a living. You're traveling around. Um, it's It's amazing. But when you've been playing in America and all over the world, playing majors and world events and suddenly back on the challenge tour, it's significantly different. So it's a very much a mental test. But um, I wouldn't really say physically it's more of a physical test. It's more mental. Um, it's like mental torture, but that is golf in a nutshell anyway, right? So <laughs> yeah. it's um, it's just tough to take. But yeah, you learn a lot about yourself. You learn about what you're capable of and and being resilient and coming back from things and and adversity and it's never straightforward. Um, so you got to kind of embrace your journey, and uh, like I said, just keep going. And uh, you never know what's around the corner, which is 
Um, you know, I've had that conversation with myself many a times. And when then you look back in a year or two and it's like, huh, it's, it's crazy. Um, but that's, that being said, Challenge Tour is fantastic. And uh, I think you, you can look back and see guys that have been successful, dropped back, got their cars back, and you take inspiration from them. Um, so, yeah, it's um, it's been fun. It's been it's been a journey, and you talk about what was around the corner. The Dunhill ended up being being around that uh, proverbial corner. But I remember I heard a story that uh, a caddy of yours started to caddy with Robert Rock, and after a couple of weeks, he he suggested you get in touch with Rob. What what was that experience like? And and, and I guess like cause Rob coaches a lot of players in the tour, and he's he's almost kind of double job in now when he's when he's playing. Um, what what did he look at or what did you guys work on and was that a relief from going to him? I, I, I give you credit you got some good research <laughs> thanks thank you uh, um yeah I, I was literally going to q school and i had one tournament left which was in italy and guy sanon from dunhill called me up and said look there's a spot for you in the dunhill if you if you want to play i'd always had a good relationship with them and i literally made the decision to go to the Dunhill purely because it was guaranteed three rounds of golf as opposed to going to Italy and probably missing the cut and having having two. I thought that would be better and it would be nice. It will be a good environment, good prep for Q school. And uh, so I went to the Dunhill. um, But so that same week I'd flown out to Kazakhstan, which was a big week on the challenge tour, like it's the challenge tour major really. And, uh, yeah, I, I struggled the first round. I think I shot like 73. I hit that hit it all over the place. And um Rich Hill, my caddy who'd caddied for me for seven years, he was working for Rob Rock. He said, Why don't you just send him some videos? So I did. I sent him that on the Thursday night. I sent him um sent him a couple of videos. I woke up the next morning because of the time zone difference, and he'd sent me this long email with stills and pictures and video and I've still got the email um, of what I needed to do. So I went to the range early because I was playing in the afternoon. I practiced for a couple of hours. I started off on the first, I hit the fairway. I was like, oh, okay, well, that's nice. I hole a wedge on the first hole. I'm like, huh, okay, might be something in this. I hit a seven iron to about a foot on the next and then I hit the third fairway, knock it on the green. I think I made eagle or I made birdie. It was something like that. It's just a wild start. And I shot, oh, I was nine under, stood on 18T, um, which was clearly the best round I'd shot in years. Uh, I think I bogeyed 18, but like suddenly I was right in the mix. And uh, I didn't, I should have won the tournament really, but I, I faded a little over the weekend, but I had a great week. So I decided to go to the Dunhill, practice a couple of weeks with Rocky hit an insane amount of golf balls in the time leading up to the Dunhill um, and went and won out of nowhere. Um, so it was it was just a mad couple of weeks. I, I'll, I'll never forget the feelings that I had on at, at St Andrews. I started at Carnoustie. I shot the course record at Carnoustie. Um, I was terrified over every shot. Literally, like, even putts, I was shaking on, like, the middle of the round. Like... I don't, I don't know why. It was just one of those things that I'd got to the absolute depths of golf, the depths of despair, and to be suddenly thrust into the limelight of the Dunhill was was pretty tough. 
Um, but again, like it, it, it highlights, you know, it, you learn a lot about yourself and what you're capable of. And uh, I kind of hung in there and, and played amazing all week. I hit the ball so good. Um, and then on the back nine, I dropped, I didn't get us off to a great start on the Sunday, but um, hung in there and, and played really solid down the back and, and got the win, which, you know, obviously kind of life-changing really at that stage. I was just about to give up and suddenly I was a winner on tour. So it was amazing. I, you know, I'll, I'll always thank Rob um, from the bottom of my heart, you know, to do that just to try and help someone and the time he spent with me the following years, uh, the following couple of weeks, sorry, was uh, was fantastic and kind of helped get me back on track and it's been a long process, but he um, he's a fantastic coach and at the time he was still playing, um, but he's uh, he's he's had enough of playing nowadays. So I'm I'm still working with him. I, I when he when he was working, it didn't work out for years because he was he was playing, I was playing. It it, it was very hard to make it work. But now he's uh, he's at home and enjoying being off the tour for a bit. And um, he was just out in Dubai with me actually. So it's been good. He's a phenomenal coach. Um, and uh, is in a very fortunate position at the moment. He's just kind of coaching when he wants and spending some time at home after travelling for years. Yeah, I've heard he has a. I've heard he's got an incredible golf brain, not just even for the golf swing, but for course design and everything. Um, I've I've heard a couple of stories about him going to tour venues, playing them, and then going back to the director of golf and being like if you were to set up this whole xyz way it would be a fantastic challenge for a number of different reasons he seems to be one of a uh, golf's true savants really yeah for sure yeah he's uh he doesn't come across like that you know when you when you have chats with him he's very chilled very relaxed but actually when you dig down there's a lot of knowledge in there a lot of he's very perceptive of what he's done in his career how he's played what he's done and, and when you start talking golf swing with him he can get pretty deep into it and you understand why he was so good tee to green. Um, and I, you know, I've been trying to pick his brains and, and figure out some of those things um, along the way. So it's been, uh, it's been a good process. Is he still as fashionable as ever? I always remember when he was playing tournament rounds, he was probably the best dressed person on in the field. Is he, is he still doing that now when he's, when he's with you in Dubai? Yeah, I mean, he's still obviously immaculately dressed. He did have a he had a visor on last week, which was weird because he never wears a hat. But um, yeah, he's he's always looking after himself. He, he looks it looks good out there. <laughs> so so Dunhill was that was that a watershed moment for you with the, with with the swing and kind of beginning the fight back, or was that a bit more of a case of you kind of caught lightning and bottled that week? You'd started something, or was like I said, was this kind of the the beginning of the of the journey back to? regularly played on the tp world tour yeah i i think well I, I went to um so that got me into the hsbc and um dubai world championships and i went to i remember going to hsbc two weeks later three weeks later in china and i i finished way down the field and i realized how far i still had to go um that was a very different challenge for different golf course and so the dunno was and amazing it was a catalyst to get back on the right road and give me two years to kind of figure out where my game's at and uh yeah i struggled i still struggled with it mainly because I, I the stuff we were working on i was so far off of where i needed to be we kind of exaggerated everything so much and it just coincided as, as it was coming back to some kind of middle ground it coincided with playing at the, at the dunhill um 
and you know playing the golf scoring putting short games never been an issue for me it was just the the kind of the ball striking but we continued to work on it but I was sort of you know having to work on on Wednesday afternoons after the pro-ams I was having to do my swing work because Rob was playing too and you know that's not the right way of doing it and we didn't get time to do stuff away from the course enough and so that didn't really work out and I was sort of I was improving but not good enough to um to play well and and be where I wanted to be for the next couple of years so didn't quite work out at that stage but it's, it's been interesting since starting back with Rocky that we've you know we've discussed what went wrong back then and we and, you know we both know what happened and why things didn't work and the things we were trying to get to work why they didn't work so now it's been a much faster process to get me back to where I want to be and swinging it um and swinging it where I want so it's just a constant learning process you know there's so many intricate things and that's what goes back to his golfing brain you know, just tiny little things about maybe the grip or the posture just something that encourages you to move in the right way um and that's been um it, it kind of looks like you're doing these big changes but actually they're very subtle and it makes a big change when you get the, the fundamental issues sorted out so um yeah it's uh it's been a good relationship he's, he's helped me a lot you in you infamously then during this period kind of i'm talking like 2014 to, to 2019 we'll say started playing driver off the deck was that all part of what you were working on or was that more of a a confidence piece it, it was neither it was the only way i could play it was literally like funny like when the tour have posted videos of me hitting the drop driver off the deck and the comments people are like why is he doing that he's just showing off and <laughs> it, it makes me laugh because i'm like like if you knew like i was hitting i realized that I could put, I can chip, and my approach play was fine. I just couldn't get it in play. So I was like, all I've got to do is get it in play off the tee. And the only way I could do it was in it drive off the deck. So I started doing that and realised, like, it really worked. And I became really good at it. And because of my swing tendencies, it kind of matched up. So I ended up winning a couple of times on the Challenge Tour doing it. Got my card back. um, And... Then I won. Uh, then I had four top fives on the main tour doing it, which was amazing, and I had a great year. Um, but it just, it wasn't playing golf how I wanted to play. Like I don't, I didn't want to be someone who could only get to this level because you know, you go to certain courses and drive off the deck is an asset. It's like sure. real playing, keeping it in, in play, and you can actually save yourself a ton of shots against the field. But if you go to big golf courses that are not that hard, that like not that firm, drive off the deck doesn't work. And I'll never. I, I guess the, the 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 biggest change in it, when the moment when I realised that this wasn't how I wanted to play golf, was at the Ned Bank, and I'd been hitting drive off the deck for three days, and I was second going into the uh, last day of playing with Westy, and. Sun City's baking hot, the green, everything's dried out throughout the week. So I get on the first tee at the Ned Bank and Gary Player welcomes everyone on the tee. And he hadn't been there the first three days when I teed off. So I walk on the tee and I'm first to go. And he, you know, I say, hi, Mr. Player. And he stood like five yards away from me. So this, I've got to make a bit of a tee on the ground with a wedge and put my ball on it. Well, I go to do it and everything just disintegrates. There's no grass. It's so dry. It's pure sand. Oof. 
And I hadn't prepared myself for that. I'm like, oh my God, like I, I've got nothing, I've got nowhere to hit this. And so, so I tried to make a little bit of something so it wasn't sat in sand and there was nothing. So I ended up just, I rolled it onto a bit of sand and hit dryer off the deck and just hit this Healy cut, just had to get out of there. And I struggled and I, I every tee was burnt out and I couldn't get a, I couldn't get driver on it. So everything was hit like these necky weak cuts. And I ended up having a bad day, dropped way down the field. And I I came in and I was like, that's me done. Like I'm not doing that. Like I do not want to play golf like that. It doesn't, it doesn't sit right with me. I've done it to get back to this stage to to be back on tour. Rest of my game's good. I've got to figure out the driving. And that's got that kind of coincides with when I went, well, I might as well just become long and get a lot longer. And then if I'm, it's better than be, it's better being long and wide than short and wide. <laughs> that was my theory. So I gave, I've gained probably, yeah, 20 yards since that time. And I'm driving it way better now, but I just had enough of it. Drive off the deck was, is, is still an asset. And I do do it occasionally now when I need to, or when I feel like it's the right play on the whole, but it was just not, it didn't align with what I wanted to do. So um, like I said, it, it's important that everything you're doing is fun and you enjoy doing it and, I wasn't enjoying doing that. So I want to play golf how I I want to play golf in a fun way and I want to win tournaments a fun way and and use the assets that I've built. Uh, so I've kind of moved on from that period. What do you learn about yourself during that period? Like, do you learn to just like, trust the other parts of your game or trust that you're doing the right thing? Obviously, that is not the kind of catalyst you want to move away from hidden driver off the deck. But at some point you were definitely thinking this isn't sustainable. Well, I thought it was sustainable. I mean, I, I, I thought, well, if I keep doing that, I can have a very good career moving forward. I can make a ton of cuts. I can finish middle of the, the order merit. I just don't want to do it. That's not what I want to do. I want to win tournaments. I want to get back in the top 50 in the world. I want to make the Ryder Cup team. Like, I still want to, I want to win tournaments. And not that I can't win tournaments doing that, but I'm significantly reducing my chances by doing it. Um. So, yeah, I would say that the whole process from, you know, that whole 2012 to 2018, 19, the biggest thing I probably learned was I stopped trusting my instinct and I started to think other people were right and going down different avenues to try and get better instead of just trusting my instinct and the knowledge and the experience I had. Um, and that's that kind of goes back to, like I said earlier, having the right people around you. And I probably didn't have the right people around me at that stage. Um, but, you know, I, I, I know I'm incredibly resilient. And uh, so I can I can handle anything that's thrown at me. But, uh, yeah, trusting my instinct would have helped me and get, get where I want to get a lot quicker, I think. So th this podcast, uh, we're, we're supported by Callaway Golf. I know, I know you are as well. So when you, when you are making these changes and going through all this work, how, how involved is a manufacturer in in your work with your with your driver play so obviously like the driver is a hu huge part of, of the game now like you're saying you're working on getting your distance and being lo long and wide is better than being short and wide how, how involved were, were the oem how involved were callaway with trying to just get the most out of the game for you and even trying to build the confidence yeah they were they were hugely important I, I guess that kind of alludes to what i was talking about on the challenge tour like you're all alone because you haven't got reps out there you haven't got someone that you can go look this is spinning a bit too much can you help me out there's no one there you've got to do it on your off time which is hard because they're away on tour hmm. so um 
yeah, like when obviously once I was driving off the deck, I had to adjust my driver, and then that that was the challenge to be to be able to have a driver that worked well for driving off the deck. But then you could just tee one up and hit it hard. Like it's a completely different um, characteristics of of the shaft different and setup. The... Yeah. So that became quite tricky because your your launch is an attack angle is completely different. Um, but most of my, and this is probably a, a well, it's definitely a, a fault that something the mistake that I've made over the years is I always kind of assumed well, I've always kind of took responsibility for the mistakes myself, and not I say mistakes, but like if I, if I'm not hitting it quite right, I've always just assumed it's me, and as I've improved my game and my swing, I realized that actually as you as your swing changes from day to day, week to week, you can combat that with just tweaking the setup of your driver or, or your clubs. And I never really appreciated that. I, I always thought, well, just let's have stock clubs for me. And then if it changes, it's down to me. But since then I've realized how finely tuned they are and how they can help you. And you if you're working on something, they just tweak it so it matches up. Um so we've now got a plan in place the last couple of years. We've done a lot of work on my woods and my driver, changed irons beginning of the year to the the uh, CBs, just got the new AI smoking, which has been amazing. Um, so we kind of basically every week we're now making sure that the guys come and watch me hit a few balls, check that the launch and the spin's right for how I'm swinging it that day or that week, making sure, you know, checking the stats, making sure everything's matched up and there's no anomalies there. Um, that's jumping out of them. So, it, I mean, it's it's kind of basic stuff if you know golf, um, but I just haven't utilised that as well as I should have done over the last uh, ten years, probably, because I just yeah, I, I just never, I always kind of just thought it was me, um, and well, it was me, but I just wanted to try and fix my swing to get to the point where then then I'd be fine. But that's what's great about the clubs is you can match them, match the clubs to what you're doing on uh, any given day which really helps for really sure good. yeah it's massive having that kind of support system again you contrast and challenge tour to to main tour one of the, the most heartwarming moments i'd say of the 2022 season was your post-round interview after you won the maiden hammerland that was you could i mean naturally an emotional day an emotional journey but um you you took the driver off the deck in the 72nd hole which was for a lot of people probably a very brave move that didn't didn't know your story what was the lead up to that week like your 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 conference had had returned and you're you were you were feeling really good about your game i heard going into that week yeah i um i was playing really nicely i wasn't really scoring that well but i was playing well and the couple of weeks before i i had some really nice bounces I guess like really nice improvements in my game was driving it better swinging it better figured out a few things went to Denmark which is a course that I know or knew really well and I feel very at home there like I, I kind of just can see what the game plan is around there and it sits well with my um skill set I guess um you don't have to hit driver that much you just got to keep it in play and there's a couple of and I and this kind of like I was saying earlier, like driver off the deck is an asset around some places, and that golf course is an is an asset because it's always windy. There's a lot of elevation. All you got to do is hit it straight because it's not a long golf course. 
Um, that being said, that um, the 18th hole there is one of the toughest holes that we play. And I, I get on that tee and all I can see is drive off the deck because it's become an asset. So it's like, well, if I hit drive off the deck there, I know I'm going to be in play every mm. time. And not everyone can say that when you're teeing it up. Um, so I've, I've basically, the last few years, I've always hit drive off the deck on that hole. And uh, that it, it doesn't, even though I'm very competent at it and I'm very comfortable doing it, when you do do it and there's a crowd, the crowd start whispering and going, look, he's hitting it off the deck. And then you start like, guys, shut up. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm okay, I've got this. But you can hear them talking and then they, you start thinking about it. <laughs> and obviously in that situation, I'm like, right, okay, all I've got to do is hit the fairway and and it's mine. And uh, it was it was fun. It was one of the best shots I've ever hit. It was so solid. And, you know, every golfer knows when you when the ball, when the club hits the ball and when it comes bang out the middle, you don't even have to watch it. It's like the best feeling ever. And that was just what happened there. So it's like just a massive sigh of relief once I uh, felt it coming off the dri- off the uh, driver. Um, but yeah, it was cool. It was a cool um, moment in my career. And I'd like to win again and do an interview where I don't cry. That's that's my next. Um, they've been both wins have been pretty emotional. So um, I'm working on that. I feel like I'd have it next time. Next time I win, I think I'll be a bit cooler and calmer. I I watched that clip in doing research for for this interview, and you're dead right. That was like a career shot. That drive was was so good. I also remember watching that tournament live, and that was a drive that caused a lot of problems for the groups in front of you, and created that that, that one or two shot lead for you. In the end, you're also you're going into the last hole with the lead anyway, but the the guys who are kind of contending, them um, I think one or two of them went into the water off off the tee yeah. So to combine that from the viewer's perspective, perspective, combine that with then watching you hit driver off the deck, I was like, this is chaos, but in the very best sense of the word. And then when you when you peach the driver, like this is this is just such a good story. Uh, so yeah, there was you're dead right, a career career shot. You talk about your next win. What's the plan for twenty twenty four? You've got you got a full season of golf ahead of you, both on and off the golf course. It's a, it's a busy year for you. Yeah, it's, it's busy both on and off. Yeah, um, so on the course, I'm I'm uh, trying to play a little bit less. Um, I'm living in the US, um, so travel has been pretty rough the last couple of years. Um, but I'm trying to play better and then play a little bit less and make the travel a little bit easier. But I'm out here. I've obviously played the last two weeks in Dubai, um, playing Raz Al-Khaimah in Bahrain, and then we've got a few Asian swings. Uh, well, Africa, sorry, African swing, and then out to Asia, um, and then it'll be nice to get back to Europe and be a little bit more at home and spend a bit more time back in the UK. And travel becomes a lot simpler, obviously. Um, so yeah, just obviously working away. Um, it's my twenty-first year as a pro, so kind of put trying to put it all together and uh, learn from all those mistakes and all the things that I've figured out and, and try and have the best year I can have, uh, best year I've ever had. Hopefully it's, uh, it's exciting because my game is as, probably as good as it's ever been. Um, which is nice because I feel like all the work I've done is, is coming together, but you know, you've got to, you've got to put it together and put the scores in. Um, so I'm hoping that's going to start clicking pretty soon. So I'm excited. I'm looking forward to the year on the course. 
And then off the golf course, you've partnered up and you've invested in True Links Golfware, the golf clothing company. You can, you can see them for people watching. The you've got you've, you've got them now. Yeah, t-shirts and yeah. you've been wearing the shoes for a while. Yeah, so um, I started wearing. Well, I so back in like I guess when we were talking earlier, like 2010, 11, 12, I was also having foot issues, um, really struggling with my my shoes and couldn't wait to take my golf shoes off after the round and started investigating health and feet and came across True Links, um, which is predominantly a golf shoe company, but it's now doing apparel. Um, but I've been wearing the shoes for like seven years. And through that process of learning about feet and how they work and what you should be doing and, and shoot how shoes should be, um, kind of fell in love with the company and the brand and the people are fantastic there. And so Weirdly enough, I've ended up partnering up with them and investing with a business partner, and we've brought the uh, distribution over to the UK and Europe, which is uh, it's really exciting because it's it's a really cool company that do things right, and it's it, it is changing. You know, it, it changes how you you look at feet and shoes, which is a bit weird to say, but um, it's been very significant for me and so it's exciting to have something on and off course and we're just trying to build the brand in uh uk ireland and europe uh, we started last year and uh, things are going nicely so um hopefully that's that's something that will go on for a long time and um i think once people experience that what i'm talking about and the comfort of the shoes and the apparel then uh, people will be getting on board but they're, they're pretty well established in the us you know a lot, a lot of guys in the U, on, on the pga tour already wear the shoes and their apparel um so it's just about building the brand over here and um hopefully that goes well yeah i think chris kirk uh, wears it doesn't he yeah chris kirk one couple of weeks ago he was wearing uh, some of our shoes and um essentially the shoes are like what i talked about they're quite a minimalist shoe on one side but then we have different models between a minimalist shoe and a traditional golf shoe um all little bit healthier than a traditional golf shoe that allows your feet to work properly and um and i'm aware i sound a bit geeky talking about this but when once you once you try them and, and understand what's happening i think people people like them they tend to when they try our brand they kind of stick with it so it's uh it's fun it's a fun process to go through too alongside playing so hopefully i can keep playing good golf and this goes well too and be in a good shape it sounds like you've got a busy year ahead because you're you're a committee member as well aren't you I am, yeah, yeah. My first, I've I've resisted for twenty years, but um, you're flat I'm now out. on committees. Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, it's interesting times for the tour. Um, as as everybody knows, so we're, we're everyone's hopeful that it's going to calm down a little bit in the in the near future. So we'll we'll see how that goes. This is probably a loaded question because considering you are a committee member, you're you're optimistic for the future health of the tour. I am. I'm very optimistic, actually. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting because everyone has an opinion, but most people don't have all the facts. And I think I think we're in a really good position. Um, with the deal, the deal that we did with PJ Tour, again, people criticise a lot of, but actually, when you look at it, it's a fantastic deal, and we're in a really strong position. Um, and I think with obviously John Ram going to live. Um, each tour at the moment is kind of eating itself. So everyone's keen to make something work. And it's just about, you know, figuring out how it is going to do and getting a return on the investment, essentially. And I think if as long as the as long as the big 
kind players in America um, stay out of the way, I think it could be very good. But if they get more and more involved, which is what they're trying to do, I think that's the, the only problem that we're going to have in the future. So um, hopefully they, they realise that, in my opinion, the players shouldn't really be involved that much. You know, we, the tour should figure it out from a business perspective and we uh, we have platforms to go and play on. But I don't really feel like we as players, and I say we because we're a mem- I'm a member of the European Tour, the guys in the PGA Tour members, it's their organisation, but they shouldn't have financial um, oversight. Oversight involvement in the tour. It's It seems, I can't quite get my head around how they think they should, but... Um, anyway, that's uh, it, it's a, it's a strange one, but yeah, I think we're in really good shape, and hopefully, in the near future, we'll have some sort of an agreement, and then they can start working on how it's all going to come together. Um, and then, yeah, actually grow the game instead of just saying grow the game, yeah, <laughs> looking, looking after everyone and and bringing people in. So I think golf's in a great position at the moment. There's a lot of momentum over the last few years. Hopefully we can bring that all together and things settle down and become a little bit happier and everyone can be friends again. <laughs> You're probably as good a good person to ask as as anyone. For those that wouldn't know, Guy Kinnings, what what's he about? What's he like? What what can we hope for for the DP Tour under this new CEO? Um yeah, he, he's a good guy. I mean, I, I can't say I know him really well. I've known him for a long time. Um he's he used to uh, run IMG so he knows all the players he knows the golf world inside out he was the one that a lot of people wanted to come in when Keith Pelly took over the tour okay. um so it seems like a natural fit he's been in around the tour now for i don't know how many years but a significant amount of time so he is um he's a good fit you know he knows the tour he's going to come in it's very uh, it's not very disruptive um and it, and it's probably a good time to come in on the tour. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's good. Um, we 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 will see that. I mean, it's it should be good. I think I think he's he'll do a good job. He knows, like I said, he knows golf. He knows all the tours. He knows all the people that are involved in the negotiations. He's been privy to all that as well. So yeah, it, things. I'm hopeful. I think I think we all are hopeful. I think we kind of feel like. And I think the, the the public as well, the media, the public. I think everyone starts is starting to see people coming together a little bit more and seeing how it could actually work and realizing how bad it is for the game that we're at this sort of standoff. Um, nobody wants to be in that position. Um, so hopefully, it's uh, yeah. I think what well, what is it? April. So we've got a few months. Hopefully, by then we can. Um, sit around and figure out what that next stage and how it actually would look like. It's all well and good having the agreement and then is they've got to figure out how it all actually works and how it's going to generate money so that everyone's making money and it's it's a viable product. Um, but yeah, first stage at a time, I guess. Yeah, Resin, um, however, I held you for way longer than I promised you I would. Thank you very much for coming on and best of luck this season, both on and off the golf course. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks for having me on. On the tee... Jack Nicholas. This is the minute the millions around the world have waited for. We will allow you to enjoy all of this. They are dancing in the pubs of Dublin. Harry.
Washington with an ace. And we have a shining star at sunset. Rory continues his run to greatness. The return to glory.